Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Jacob Longin, Coordinator of Communications and Marketing for Oklahoma State University's College of Arts and Sciences. Our guest today is Adley Stump, a 2011 strategic communication graduate who became famous overnight in 2012 after appearing on NBC's The Voice, which she did on a dare. That launched her country music career, where she won a Grammy Amplifier Award and opened for acts such as Blake Shelton, Chris Young, Jake Owen, and Tim McGraw. She had another life-changing moment in 2016 when she became a social media star due to her Chickens in the Bathtub video becoming a viral hit. To date, her videos have totaled over 500 million views across Facebook and Instagram. The Adley Show on Facebook Watch averages over 3 million viewers every week. She was in town to serve as the MC at the Cass Hall of Fame ceremony, and she sat down with me to talk about her life experiences and share advice on finding your own path to success. I know you went on The Voice. You were still a student at that point, is that right? I started looking into it when I was a student. You know, I, would, uh, I was that girl who didn't turn down a dare in college. If it sounded fun, this was the time to do it. So I never really grew up wanting to be a singer. Always loved music, but didn't dare to dream that mm. big. You know, that wasn't really in me. But we, I think, were sitting around the table at the Pi Pi House talking about this karaoke show and how I should just go audition for that. So it was after... I think it was a Friday night after an intramural game. Got in the car, drove to Nashville. Mm. Love Nashville, always wanted to go, but I had an 8 a.m. audition the next morning, and it was a dare. Like, clearly I didn't care about the quality of my voice. I drove through the night chugging energy drinks for the 8 a.m. audition, but I was just happy to be there. You know, it was such an experience, and it went through all of the casting process, kept getting called back, kept going through the interviews, and I'd been media trained. I was a broadcast major for a little while, and so knowing how to answer the questions in a different way, I think, than most the artists there got me, they told me later that got me through a long way in the mm. casting process. And of course you made the show. Made uh, the show. You were on Blake's team. Was, yes. Blake and Christina turned around and I had to go with Blake. I don't watch The Voice, but I watched when I knew you were on. Uh, I will say, whether you will say it or not, you got robbed, you should have won that, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, did you enjoy the experience? Oh, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And so even I kind of felt, uh, you know, just to use that as an example, she was a, Ray Lynn was a better artist than me. She had wanted to do this. It was in her blood. She had written a ton of songs. And so I knew I would naturally kind of fade out. And I was just enjoying being there. I didn't expect to be there in the first place, to make it to the blind audition stage, then to get chosen, then to make it through. You know, I was, um, I just enjoyed every bit of it. Mm. And that, of course, was a launching Pat oh my gosh, you. changed my life. I think I was interviewing for cubicle jobs when I was a senior, you know, uh, just whatever was available, just, you know, doing it what everybody else did. So it definitely opened a wide open door into a world I never thought I would get to be a part of. And so I said, okay, I will earn everything else. I'm going to stay in this entertainment business. I was given a wonderful launching pad and I'll, I'll earn the rest of it. Let's have some fun. And you said you never wanted to be a singer having heard you sing then and of course subsequently obviously you have a very um, powerful and unique voice Thank you must you. have always had a good voice I would debate that I would say <laughs> <laughs> I think I it's always been a powerful voice I was a cheerleader for 15 years my mom cheered here at OSU and that was in my blood and I cheered from kindergarten up until college and then do you want to audition to cheer at OSU I would like to see what life is like outside of cheerleading. You know, let's get into a sorority. Let's do some other things on campus. Let's pomp. So <laughs> uh, that's when that stops. I always knew how to project, but I didn't have lessons. I hadn't refined that quality at all. I wanted to go into PR. I wanted to go speak and encourage and inspire people, ideally like for a nonprofit. That's what I thought I was gonna do upon graduation. Mm. And so when The Voice happened, one of my favorite stories to tell, the moment that it really clicked for me that this was gonna be my new path, was I was laying on the gym in the ab, on the abs mat, and it was right after I had auditioned. I knew I was gonna be on the show, but it hadn't aired yet. Mm -hmm. I just privately knew that my life had changed, and I was, I was praying. I was like, God, I think you've got the wrong girl. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go speak and encourage and inspire people, work for a nonprofit. Now here I am in Nashville. I had signed a record deal in the meantime. I'm a singer and we're on the number one show in America, and I don't know what I'm doing, hmm. you know? And I felt just this wave come over me, and I felt like you just hit me upside the head. I said, Ad, I just gave you a stage and a microphone in a voice you didn't know you had. Hmm. What do you think you're supposed to do? Go speak, go encourage, go inspire people. You just gave you a 
bigger platform than a cubicle to go do it. What is it like to go from an unknown to a lot of people know who you are just like that? That's, uh, it's a really unique experience and one that you try to, to soak in. I was, the next week I was at a Zumba class. I was trying a Zumba class and it was right after the blind audition. So it's out there, everybody knows who you are. It was a huge show that year. And I can feel people looking at me, just kind of talking about me, and I saw it. And then I looked at them and said, hi. They go, sorry, sorry. You just look just like this girl off The Voice. And I started to laugh and respond before I could even get it out. The other girl goes, well, you probably just wear your hair like that because you saw her do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. And that had already become a thing, and people either loved it or hated it, and everybody had an opinion on you things that you were comfortable with yourself with yesterday, you're not so much today. Um, you're proud of yourself for reasons that you never knew existed. Um, and it's just a bunch of different emotions. But having been a performer from the aspect of cheerleading my whole life, I felt, I felt, I felt okay with it. I, really, I just loved the opportunity. I couldn't believe that I had it. As a bald man, I have to ask the hair question. <laughs> uh, you did have a lot. A lot of hair. So much hair. And you have it shorter now? Yes. It got, it was a lot. It was George Washington hair. You go back and look at that. <laughs> that's what I call it. Back nice. And I just, I'm upset that no one stopped me. No one said, hey, Ad, let's rethink this decision. <laughs> Bees were swarming my head frequently and nobody thought to tell me that we should make a change. <laughs> so I just did the best with what I could at the time. So you like this style more? Um, it's, it's probably more low Not as hot, yes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Again, bald guy, I get that. Yeah, I, th I think you're, that's the next transition I'm going to make. Yeah, don't do this. <laughs> it, it would look it look better on you than it does on me, but don't. Just I don't. would look like my father. <laughs> hey, Greg. <laughs> well, and your life is different now. I know you, I've seen you've done some videos within the last year or two, yeah. uh, music videos. But you're doing a whole lot with social media. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I never saw that coming either. It just goes to show you, you think you've got this plan out of college and you think, you know, I'm gonna go to school and I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna get this job and I'm gonna move here. And you try to make plans the best you can. Mm -hmm. And you do the best you can, or as long as you can. I think I, after The Voice for the next f three, four years, I'm in Nashville, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing which is essentially waiting for a suit behind a desk to give you permission to be successful. Mm. <laughs> you know? And that never really sat well with me. So I had a lot of ventures uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, and social media was always at the, at the center of that because that's where I had a voice. That's mm. where I had an audience immediately after college. And so I just continued to use that and I loved the, the freedom that that gave me. Um, and I didn't really lean into it until a mentor of mine, a friend who runs one of the largest Instagram networks in the world, and they're actually based out of Nashville. And he was like, Ad, you're, you're a great singer, you're a great writer, but you've got more than that. You're, mm. they're, not, they're looking at the songs you write and you're just chalked up to that. Your personality is bigger than that. You're smarter than that. You've got a marketing brain. Mm. Like that's really what's unique about you. And I tend to think that <laughs> certain qualities, like what my weakest qualities are in one area is also my biggest strength mm -hmm. if looked at in a, in a different light. And as an artist, that was, True, I was really rare as an artist because I was a great marketer and my brain just worked really creatively in that way. So I was able to always be seen, be known and not have to wait for permission to do certain things. Mm. I figured out a way to get myself out there on my own. Um, but then as an artist, it was a weak spot of mine because I wasn't the best singer. I wasn't the best writer. I became mediocre at those other things, but I was way better over here. So it took me a while of figuring that out to not try to equalize all of my weaknesses because I would never come to you and be like, oh my God, Jacob, you got to hear this girl. She's like a little bit of good at everything. <laughs> no, you're like, this girl is so funny or this girl plays guitar like a maniac or she's brilliant at this, her voice, oh my gosh. Mm. Whatever you are naturally great at, whatever sets your soul on fire, do more of that, lean into that. And that took me probably three or four years out of college to learn that this is what is unique about me Quit trying to spend 10 hours a week on guitar, 10 hours a week on singing, 10 hours a week on writing, and just lean into what makes me truly unique. And that was my ability to see opportunities and capitalize on them. To be clear here, you're doing a lot with social media. Are you still making music? Not as much. Okay. I think it's always, it's always gonna be an ability that I have. 
but there's a difference between being able to sing and pursuing being the next big singer-songwriter country mm -hmm. star. That was what it really was for the first three years. But then when God opened that door with the Instagram network saying, make some videos for us, use your personality more online and we'll do everything we can to help you. That's really when things started to open up, things started to change and my pursuit became a little bit different. And it was hard, I think it's a natural characteristic of humans to want to be consistent mm. to what you told the world that you were gonna do mm. once. <laughs> and so it's taken me a long time to say, do I really want to be the next big country star? Not really. And that was hard for me to even admit to myself because mm. I told myself that so often. And then some people just really got around me and got in my head and said, you have an insane opportunity with Facebook here and Instagram and the people that are surround you, surrounding you in this world and the abilities that you have here, they're waiting for you to just say, I'm all in, I'll create videos and they will change my life. Mm -hmm. But they think I'm still trying to do this over here. And so um, it was not that long ago, guys. It was probably six months ago where I finally was like, no, I don't want to be the next big country star. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, why are you still spending 30% of your time doing that? Because everybody wants to help you in this world that I'm in in Nashville and in social media, but they don't know what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to be the next big country star or are you all in on social media, female James Corden type of thing? Mm -hmm. um, and so I had to get really clear on what I want. And we all think we know what we want at different points in our mm -hmm. lives, but uh, the last six to eight months have been probably the biggest pivot I've made since uh, six years ago. I have not read your book, but I read that you wrote a book. Yes, about I did. How They Sell Music, mm -hmm. is that right? It's called How They Sell Music. Um, and the concept behind that was my inbox was flooded. Everybody I know, every entertainer gets approached a million times a week hey, you know, my daughter's a singer, she would love to talk to you. If she, you could give her any advice, what would it be? Backstage at a concert. If you get to talk to Garth Brooks, that was, mm. I got to, they set me up with him at Willie's at my, the night of my farewell show. Got to sit with Garth and Trisha. And God, I wish I knew it, anything back then because the questions I asked them were probably so dumb. But I'm sure it was something like, hey, if you have any advice, what would it be? I was sitting in all these conversations with people that would just, kill to be a fly on that wall and mm -hmm. hear this conversation that I'm getting to have on a daily basis. And so I was like, you know what, let's just put this down. I'm going to get three huge YouTubers. I'm going to get Cross Canadian Ragweed mm -hmm. and have them tell the story of how did you be, grow from six guys who all had jobs and families playing in a garage to start to expand, to start to quit two of their jobs, to start regionally touring. And now you're a multi-platinum selling artist. Mm -hmm. What does that process look like? What would you tell somebody who's in a similar situation? How did you get three million YouTube subscribers? How do you tag your videos? And just give really practical advice. So I got 10 artists, way bigger than me, mm -hmm. to all write a chapter detailing a, their best possible advice, how they did it. And the key is, I mean, even if you replicated that advice to a T, your path is still not gonna mm -hmm. land you as that person, that's not your DNA. Um, if you your German chocolate cake and you're trying to make a you know a red velvet cake, you can't. You got different ingredients, uh, so you just take what you can and learn from the best. But you still ultimately have to make it your own, and so that's that's really the culmination of what that book was was a very well-rounded book of advice from people who have done it and are doing it, and what they would say. And thankfully, because of those collaborations, it became a number one bestseller on Amazon in its category, uh, and that was a really wonderful year and a half blip in the story mm. that I sometimes forget about, so I'm glad you reminded me. And you mentioned Garth Brooks. I was thinking of him earlier. There are, I definitely see some similarities there. He's like you and like me, a mm -hmm. graduate of the, what is now the School of Media and Strategic Communication. And personally, I like his music, but whatever anyone says about his music, and some people say he's not, he's, uh, maybe he's outsold what he should have based on his talent. Again, I disagree, but mm -hmm. he, he says that. He says, I'm a better songwriter than singer. But I think everybody agrees he knew how to market himself. Yes. Did he give you any advice related to that? Because that's what you're talking about. Yeah. I, God, I wish we could have recorded that entire conversation. Mm. You know, I do remember asking him what his number one piece of advice was for getting into music. And he said, don't sell your masters. Mm. What had I done the week prior? Sold my masters. Mm. <laughs> It sold my masters because I didn't know any better. Right. You know, I just, I was like, wow, this people would kill for a, a recording contract. I never, how bad could this be? <laughs> signed, I signed away commercial rights to my name for mm. life. I, I signed a record deal in mm. perpetuity. My catalog away in perpetuity and hadn't even written a song yet. 
So I learned I learned a lot, um, right, for that, that first year and a half after graduation. Who were your musical influences? Who did you like to listen to? Or who do you like to listen to? Garth, of course, was a big influence. Reba was another one. Um, really st strong female personalities mm -hmm. who also were business minded. Mm -hmm. It was less about the music because I mean I grew up on Spice Girls and NSYNC like the rest <laughs> of us. So, <laughs> um, and I didn't grow up with musical just influences, thinking that I was going to be a singer. Your hair was Justin Timberlake, just a lot more. A right, that's what I was going that for, and no so one's ever recognized it. All right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now you're off into other things. Like yeah, I clearly. Yeah. It was like, yeah, music was the launching pad, <laughs> and, but deep in my soul, I knew, like, that's not what lights a fire mm. under me. Like, if I would be talking, I would be answering questions about music and interviews, and then they would ask about, at the time, the book, mm. or they would ask about another project that I'd started that was a little bit more marketing bent, and I would not shut up. Mm. It was just, I just came alive talking about those types of projects and talking about things that were a little bit more bent towards business, but were creative to where... Uh, sort of an entrepreneurial spirit has always been the umbrella and then music was the vessel. Mm -hmm. You know, that was that launch pad into the world of entertainment and the spotlight and being able to build an audience. Well, and I, one of the things I was thinking about preparing for this is uh, I, I saw the list of uh, people you've opened for, some very big names on that. Yes. Of course, Blake Shelton, but I saw Tim McGraw. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who else is on the list, but very big names. First of all, when you're opening for someone other than Blake, who you knew from the show, how much do you interact with them? Not at all. Okay. The day of the show, especially Blake. Some of the other acts, we I always got to talk to most of them, unless it's a Tim McGraw or a Blake Shelton or a Brad Paisley, because they fly in. Mm. Their band doesn't even see them until they're walking on mm. stage. That was I never got to see him. Except for Blake, we did six stadium shows with him in the last two years, and I saw I saw him one time, but it was literally at the meet and greet mm -hmm. like there's no hanging out on the bus because he's not even on the bus you know so fly in fly out um, but everybody else that we've opened for i've got to at least typically have a conversation with and that's that's really really fun and i don't know if you know the answer to this but what is the largest cr crowd you've performed for i believe it's around sixty thousand, sixty-four thousand. what is that like Oh my God, it's still the background on my phone just to remind me to always dream bigger because I never would have put myself in that position. Mm. Um, and it was just incredible. And I actually, I'm less nerve-wracked by that than I am in a small, intimate audience because of people whose opinions I really care about, mm. you know? <laughs> because when I'm the baby act, we opened, uh, we opened a Blake show at Penn State Stadium and it was the first time they'd ever had music in the stadium, mm. ever. And... Um, so I, they always say Blake Shelton was the first act to ever play at Penn State. And I'm like, technically, <laughs> it, it was me. <laughs> we want to get, yeah. get real about it. But yeah, that was, that was absolutely incredible. And when you are kind of the baby act, there, a, a lot of people aren't paying attention. They're kind of paying attention, but you're in a stadium. It's hot. Um, it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Those are memories I'll cherish forever. And I know your numbers on social media are huge. Oh, Really, you're performing for a lot more people than that now, but you can't see them. Yeah. I assume that's the difference, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. When I perform, I'm performing to a camera and a little red light, mm. just picturing that there is energy on the other end of it. And so you kind of have to put that on. You have to put that mindset on. But I, I love that just the same. You know, coming from the journalism background, I loved writing as a kid. And now that's kind of transitioned to where I'd rather speak than I would write. My mom's tried to get me to journal forever. Mm. And that just takes too long. I'd rather just turn on a camera and tell you how I'm feeling because mm -hmm. you're going to get ninety percent more out of me uh, if I can explain it with nonverbal communication. Mm. I'm a writer, but I have never journaled either. It just it didn't work for me. I don't know. Yeah. I'd much rather write somebody else's story. I mean, mm. that's what I do. It always so. is easier to to do it for somebody else than it is for yourself. Yeah. And your videos, I don't know that if they're all humorous. They certainly a lot of them are. A lot of them are because it's the widest reaching. Hmm. Right? So you got to cast the net pretty wide. But then once you get to know me, if the people who followed me for a while, they've seen a significant amount more of depth. Um, but going deep and going really, really niche, it's going to be a lot harder to go wide. So my method has kind of been to go a lot wider hmm. with stuff that's just relatable. Like hmm. with a lot of the videos that we make, people ask how we come up with the ideas. And it's not too dissimilar from songwriting. But the, the method behind it has been relatable subjects, mm -hmm. right? Like my boyfriend doesn't really want a pet. I love pets. 
So in that argument, I just exacerbate everything. Take that relatable subject and I turn our apartment into a barnyard for a day. And that's the part that makes it viral, is it's a relatable concept, oh my gosh, that's so me, that's so us, tagging the boyfriend, I wanna do this, and that's what gives it the, the ability to really travel, uh, but it comes from something that everybody can relate to or see themselves in. And your boyfriend and your mom are both here in the room with us right now. They are. I've seen both of them on the videos. <laughs> yeah. How do the people in your life feel about being part of the videos? Oh, I bribe them. <laughs> and my mom just kicked the back of my chair. So, <laughs> so they don't really ask for it quite as much, but because uh, it's, it's a job. Like, I don't mm. always love doing it. We do two episodes a week for Facebook's original content program called Watch. And it's work. It really is. You have to think through everything. You got to, I got to edit it after the fact. But because there a lot of them are one take type of things, mm -hmm. it's really improv. Uh, we've got the idea, but then you don't want it to be so scripted. Mm -hmm. I started out doing a little bit of that stuff, but now I just there's a lot more beauty just letting it flow in the moment. It's a lot more natural, and that tends to perform better. They're getting used to it, and it's always fun when it's done. It's it's fun to watch it perform well. They monetize through Facebook, mm -hmm. and it's it's been a really 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 fun journey. This has been the best year and a half that I, I never thought I'd get to experience but I'm enjoying every second of it. So I'm always needing more people to be in my videos than mm. Jacob, so if you're up for the challenge. <laughs> well, certainly the next time I'm in Nashville. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll trade hair for a day. Yeah. See what that's like. I, I would absolutely do that. <laughs> I am always willing to laugh at the fact that I don't have any hair. Uh, so how often do you have a concept that just doesn't work? Often, often. Um, like, we'll shoot videos and then it was, it was better in concept than it was materialized. Mm. The same, same way with songwriting. Mm -hmm. You know, you write a ton and then a few are gonna pop and the rest are kinda like, eh, it's not very good. But you still, for me at least, I still have to try. If I let a creative idea simmer in here, I'll go nuts. So mm. I've always been just a trier, a doer, and four or five things out of 100 will work. Mm. Um, but I have to bring things into fruition. Creating is really what matters most to me. It's not necessarily performing. It's not even really the success of it. For me, I'm in love with the journey. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that attached to the outcome. I used to say, ah, here's exactly what I want. I want to win a Grammy. I want to stay, stand on a stage. And I want to win these awards. And I want to have an ACM and blah, 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 blah. But say that never happens. Then you're living your whole life and this whole journey chasing a dangling carrot that mm -hmm. you're, you may never get. And even if you do get it, it's probably not going to taste like what you thought it was going to taste like in the first place. And yeah, I made videos for two and a half years and nobody watched, nobody cared. Like I was vlogging every week for like seven people <laughs> and, <laughs> and nobody cared, but I loved doing it. I had so much fun doing it. And if I hadn't loved it, I would not have stuck with it long enough to see the success. And that's, that's just where I get really passionate about going all in on what you are just addicted to. Mm. What we talked, Blake and I talked about this over breakfast, that for me, it's like a sport. Mm. And it's very hard for me to turn it off because I'm so bent that way that I love the businesses that we have. I love creating videos. I love watching them perform well and analyzing why they did and why they don't. And not everybody gets fired up about that. And unfortunately, it's hard to make a video with one person. Mm. So uh, <laughs> I do drag them into it quite a bit, but it is, my life is sport to me. And thankfully we've been able all of my hobbies I've been able to turn into a business or monetize in one way or another. What was the tipping point? When did you go from videos for almost no one to where you are now? Was there, was there one that was the crossover? Yes, the biggest one was, it was one where I put chickens in a bathtub and it has not been all uphill since then. Mm. This was the one that made me realize I love doing mm. this. Uh, that Instagram network I referenced, they had hired me to make daily videos that were gonna be seen by hundreds of thousands of people every day. And I was like, oh my God, this is my break. This is, this is it for me. I hated it. I w it was so difficult for me because I'd never shot, I'd never edited, I've never lit a room, I'd never written scripts, I'd never acted, and I can't see what's behind the camera. And I was just bombing. Everything that I was turning in, they were like, okay, I guess we'll post this because we hired you to do it. <laughs> but it wasn't good because I was just looking at other big YouTubers, other Vine people, and just doing what they did. Mm -hmm. And it didn't come across as authentic because it wasn't. And so one night, I had lost all of my footage from the day. And it's midnight, I had to turn episodes in at 6 a.m. And it was all corrupt, it was gone. Mm -hmm. And I'm just crying and I'm exhausted because every day I was having to come up with an idea, shoot it, edit it, and have a new idea by the next morning. 
and it was just, it was exhausting. So I lost all this footage, it's midnight, and my boyfriend at the time was like, oh my gosh, um, go get the chickens, do something with them. You love them, they make you happy. Hold on, hold on. Go get the chickens. I had chickens <laughs> in my backyard. <laughs> okay, okay. And they had they were super were fun you, for me. Were these pet chickens? They, Did you raise chickens? I had just started. Yes. Okay. We had Chick Norris, Bruce Henner, okay. Ellen DeHenneris, Little Jimmy Chickens, Reba McIntyre, and I just love these guys. And he was right. I I, I didn't know how, what wise words those would end up being. I went and got the chickens. They made me happy. I did that. Fifteen minutes later, I'm in the bathtub with my chickens sent it in, they were like, okay, I guess we'll post this <laughs> again. And, but I ended up posting it to Facebook because I was like, that was fun. I enjoyed making that video. 48 hours later, I get a call. Um, your video has like 300,000 views. I was like, it has 300 views, that's amazing. And they were like, no, 300,000. By the time I got to a computer, it was a 500,000 views, like 30 minutes later. And I'm, I think the Wi-Fi is broken because I'm not even refreshing the page, it's just going with comments. Mm. Those are sound effects for the page scrolling. Um, <laughs> it was just going nuts. And I'm just watching it go up and up and up. And uh, me and my friend Olivia are like, oh my God, what if this hit a million views? Like we would die. By the end of that day, 24 hour span, it had hit 19 million views. And I'd gained 100,000 fans on my public personal profile on Facebook. And I was like, well, crap, that's easier <laughs> than jumping in a van, touring, losing money, trying to build an audience. I'm going to do more of that. Um, and the real takeaway for me from that story that continues to be my guiding light is authenticity. Mm -hmm. Authenticity and consistency being the two ingredients for success, whatever that means. Um, but the second I quit trying to do what everybody else was doing and I just did what made me happy and it was weird, that a lot made a lot of people happy, seeing me that happy. And it started, it was the relatability of girls being like, oh my God, it's so me, I'm getting chickens. Boyfriend, we're getting chickens. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it, was, it was great. And that video continues to perform well. And anytime I kind of get lost uh, who I am as a creator or I just feel frustrated, I just try to go back to that time of what genuinely makes you happy because that's a vibe thing. You can meet somebody and tell in 10 seconds if they're not being real with you, mm -hmm. you know? And, so that just trying to make that come across in videos as this is authentic, even when it's kind of put on. Like we recently put a hot tub in our apartment mm. and Blake walks in and is like, why is there a hot tub in our apartment? He had to kind of know that was coming, you know, so you kind of have to have these ideas, um, but they're improv after that. We have a couple beats that we want to hit, but um, other than that, we just, we just play it out and have fun, you know, because our life has always been that fun. My life has always been that random. Like, I'm going to go try out for this karaoke show. Mm. I've always just said yes to a lot of things. Uh, but now just turning, learning to say, grab the camera, mm. turn it on, um, has been a learned skill. So you take, I mean, authenticity, and I, I was going to say that, but then of course you said it. But it sounds like you take who you are and just sort of turn it up, right? You turn it up. Amplify right. it to Big the point time. of absurdity. Yeah, to the point that it's like, oh my God, what did I just watch? You know, so it's, Take, yeah, take who you are, take a relatable subject, and then just 10x it. <laughs> mm. And the videos of yours I've seen are all pretty, uh, none of them are mean-spirited. Yeah. Do you worry about that? Do you worry about going too far, whether it's mean or not, but just, eh, we may have crossed the line there. My apartment complex might say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, but then again, they ask us to come live there because they know the exposure it'll bring. Mm. So they know what they were getting. They saw the episodes before we set the fire extinguishers off. Uh, <laughs> and that's not even a metaphor. So we, <laughs> um, some of them, you know, the, the sad part about it is pranks do the best. Mm. And the more ridiculous you are, the better it does. So when this is also a business and I also need to pay people, mm. we need them to perform well, which means sometimes you got to push the limits a little bit. But for me, the long game is a lot more important than the short mm -hmm. game. So if, if I have to do something extremely out of character, and that's, I, I don't want to do it. I don't care what it's going to make. I don't care how well it's going to perform because that's not the brand that I ultimately want to build. Mm -hmm. So the most I think we've pushed it is some of the pranks Blake and I have done on each other, um, which we would do some of those off camera. He'll throw firecrackers at my head, and I'm an extremely reactive person, mm. so I'll retaliate, and then I'll throw a firecracker at his head. We don't catch that stuff on camera, mm. you know, but it just keeps life fun, you know, and 
of course, when you're putting that out there on the internet, you're asking, you're opening yourself up for everybody's opinion. And I had to get thick skin pretty quick. But you have to remember the ones that are commenting are not the majority. Mm -hmm. They're not speaking for the majority. And even when you do respond to some of the loudest haters, they're like, oh my God, I love you. I was just kidding. <laughs> like I just had a bad day. Or I don't mean that at all. And that just diffuses it. And you just have to remember that that doesn't define you. They're mm -hmm. what they say. I don't have to internalize that. And they're not the majority. So how often do you run into people when you're out, you know, you're grocery shopping, you're at a restaurant, whatever, mm -hmm. people who recognize you? Uh, often. Flying. Oh, yeah, we, we landed at the airport and somebody yelled across the, <laughs> the airport, I love your videos. Oh, yeah. Last week I was on a flight to, uh, to L.A. from Nashville, of all places, the plane is full of musicians <laughs> and somebody recognized me and it, we had a flight attendant who did not let it go. Mm. And on a four-hour flight, there's not much else to do, so she really didn't let it go and I think I, hour three, I ended up jumping up there and singing some Tina Turner for the plane. Mm. <laughs> and of course, the type of person typically who's going to come up and say something to you is probably a fan of yours. Mm -hmm. How often do you get people being rude in person? Because online, it's easy to make a comment and, you know, just throw bombs. Yeah. I, to, that I can recall right now, I can't say anybody. Yeah. No, nobody's going to come up to me and, and say that in person. Knock on wood. Right. I'm sure it's going right. to happen. Um, but so far, I've been very fortunate. Yeah. I've had some, you know what I did have is some musician friends of mine call me a sellout and say that I'm cheapening myself and why would I sell out and make videos? And it's, I mean, if I'm being honest, I think it's because they weren't finding the traction themselves and I took a pivot and it worked. Mm -hmm. And they they haven't done that necessarily. And so I, they call it a sellout, call it whatever you want to call it. But that's actually the most personal hate that I've had was from other artists that were mad that I didn't stick it out in the trenches with them, pay dues for a little bit longer as an artist, and that I pivoted mm. and okay. didn't continue playing the game the, the way Nashvillians do. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's easy to hate on somebody else succeeding. Yeah, and that's typically what it is. You're never going to receive hate from somebody doing better than you, <laughs> you know? Right. How long has it been since you were here at OSU? Not since you graduated. How long since Nine you visited? Years. Last year. Last year I came to Bedlam. Okay. That was, that was a great game. <laughs> it's always a great game. Oh, that was two years ago. Sorry, yeah, two years ago. Two Bedlam. years ago. Okay. And, of course, you're here today. It won't be today when people are listening. For the uh, You're going to emcee the College of Arts and Sciences Distinguished Alumni and Hall of Fame ceremony. And that's, a, that's an incredible honor. I'm so excited for tonight. And you were a rising star. I was. 2013, I think it was. I think that was right. And in fact, uh, you were the first rising star. You were the first one to get that award. That's right. So That's right. And that's going to feel really cool tonight to, that it's continued on and I get to present that award to, to the next round. Mm -hmm. And how much experience do you have with that sort of thing? You're not performing. Yeah, we, we could, well, I host quite a few events quite a few events a year. And it's always fun because it's something different. You know, sometimes mm. it's performing, sometimes it's hosting, sometimes it's just appearance-based stuff, but stuff that brings you back home, that feels the best. Like this will feel different than any other hosting mm -hmm. gig, if we want to call it that, just because it's personal, because I know a lot of people in the audience because I received one of these awards mm. before. And so I'm, I'm very excited, very humbled. And you talked about your name earlier. I was curious about your name. When you go on The Voice, I think you pretty much, you're locked in at this is the name I'm going to use. Yeah. Is there any chance you would have used some sort of a different name as a singer? I would have just, now what I've done is we've dropped Stump. Mm -hmm. I just go by Adley. Mm -hmm. uh, my handles are at Adley, The Adley Show. Um, almost anywhere you'll find it. We've tried to just make that transition. I do wish I would have done that earlier. Yeah, just drop the Stump. And then half the people didn't let me back then. They're like, no, it's country. You're a country singer. It makes you sound more country. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I wish I would have dropped it earlier. Okay. Even Adley is a is a fairly unique name. I know a lot more Addies than Adleys. Yeah, you know what? A girl in my pledge class name was Adley. Okay. How, it was the first other Adley I met. It was A-D-A-L-E-E-E. -E -E. Okay. And then I've met an A-D-L-E-I-G-H. And I've met a lot of Adleys since um, since I've been an Adley. Mm. <laughs> it was uh, the, right after I did The Voice, the next year, Yahoo, I guess, publishes a list of most popular baby names. <laughs> and in 2013, 
Adley was one of the top new baby names that had arisen, and it was attributed to you. Adley from The Voice. Yeah. Really? Isn't that crazy? Now, I have a bunch of followers who have babies named Adley. <laughs> I've probably at least 30 that have, that have reached out. Well, that's cool. Yeah, my mom has some friends um, that have named their kids Adley, and that feels incredible. It really is attributed back to you, Mom, because you, you picked it. I didn't pick it. Good on you. But nobody's naming their kids Stump. No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> uh, a question I asked a friend of mine the other day who's not a musician. When you're writing a song, do you write the music or the words first? And I know it's different for everyone, but for you, which is it? It's different every day. Sometimes I'll have lyrics written down, and so when you go into a write, whether it's one other person or two other people, everybody's bringing in something different. Some people kind of come in with a lick, you know, on the guitar, and we just start writing around that. Sometimes I've got a melody that's just been come in my head for the last, the last week, and I want to write something to that. And if I know I'm writing with a better lyricist than I am, I hang back on the lyrics and we'll trust them on that. But I'm probably strongest with Melody. Mm. You won a Grammy Amplifier Award. Yes, this is an award that the Grammys, the Recording Academy, gives to somebody that they would consider a one to watch every year. And so they've got rock artists, country artists, rap artists, and R&B. Um, I don't know if they were drinking when they voted or what <laughs> happened, but somehow I got voted as the Grammy Amplifier. And so they funded a music video. We shot it out in Malibu. My best friend, she was Miss USA in 2015. She got to be the lead uh, in the music video, and that was so much fun. It just She got to be a part of my big moment on the year that she was Miss USA, and the Grammys were all a part of it and promoting that, and that was that was an incredible honor. Which video was that? Don't Want to Love Him. Okay. It was a big Ferris wheel in it. But is, that, is that the one where you play all the different? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're all the different people. Yes. That he's seen. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was okay. a good-looking old man, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that looked like it was fun, just being different. Oh, it was so fun. Yeah. That's how I feel every day, like six different people. Yeah. It depends on which hour you catch me. How do you feel like OSU helped you prepare for success? You talked about your, your journalism background mm -hmm. really helping you. Absolutely. I think sometimes you don't figure this stuff out till later. Like, if you would have asked me a year removed how did my time here help me? I don't know if I could have answered that, or my answer would have been very different than what it is today. And sometimes it's not even what, it's not really much of what I learned in the classroom, learning how to measure ad space and, and things, some of the practical things like that. But from the social experiences to the opportunities in leadership to the relationships I built here, the network I built here, and just the growth from 18 to 23, mm. those were some of the best years of my life. I, that's why it just feels like home every time I step back on this campus because I really had so many formative years here that helped me become the woman that I am today and the woman that I try to be every day and who hopefully I will become someday. And just people like Garth that have graduated from here, just being able, and then Oklahoma State reconnecting me with him. Mm. Um, not every university does that. So I, I, there's no other place that I would have rather spent those years because I don't think I'd be the same person today. And your friend who dared you to go on the show, does she, uh, is she responsible for all of your success? Yeah, she takes 10%. I, well, I was gonna say, I would, <laughs> if, if it was me, I would absolutely be like, yeah. You, Where's my check? You better get up every morning and thank me. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. My, my daughter's 13. Just this morning, literally this morning, she goes, Dad, can I get TikTok? And I was like, I don't know anything about TikTok. And she said, Mom said, don't ask me that. <laughs> so now I'm asking you. And I was like, let me figure let out. Let me what do it some is. research. Yeah. Um, but do you have advice to people who think that might be their future? Not My daughter's asking to get on social media. She's not mm -hmm. asking to be a, a content creator. But do you have advice for people who think that might be what they do, what they want to do? Absolutely. Uh, it would be only if you love it and you are prepared to make no money at it for the first five to eight years mm -hmm. and you do it because you love it. There's a lot of entitlement surrounding mm -hmm. the space that I've been making videos for six months and I'm not getting any views and so-and-so did and it just sometimes it happens like that. You know, I know people who are making videos for five years. I've been making videos for two weeks and had chickens in a bathtub <laughs> pop off, you know, and I didn't ask for that. And then if I was not consistent with it and continued to build the craft, I didn't have another one hit for two years, mm -hmm. you know, and you just continue to refine the craft. And I think if you're looking back 
and every six months, you're not mortified by what you did six months ago. <laughs> There's not a lot of growth there. Um, but that's really the same for any job that you go into. Yeah. People go into jobs and they're like, I haven't had a raise in, in 10 years and I've got 10 years experience. I'm like, no, well, no, you have one year of experience and like 10 years of just doing the same thing. Mm. Have you read any more books to grow your skill set? No. Have you gone to any seminars? No. Have you grown as a person and are you offering more value? More value, bigger checks. And that's across the board. And so for me, it's straight up waking up every day and creating your own opportunities. Um, and somebody in the past had said, you just, you, you never want to spend time with me. You just create work for yourself all the time. I'm like, yeah, because that's the only way I'm going to eat and not have to eat ramen noodles every day. And it was six years of doing that. And it has absolutely built the foundations and the steps in my ladder to where now when my ladder shakes, I'm not going anywhere. Mm. But people who go from the bottom to the top very fast, there is no stability. You mm. didn't have those foundational steps. So I say the longer it takes, the better for if you want longevity in whatever your business. And so I think there has to be some passion in it, especially if you're in a self-employed realm, because it's not always going to be easy. And that's when most people quit. So if you have enough fire in you to love most of it, then you've got to, you've got to, because otherwise you're going to quit when you're in those valleys and there's going to be more valleys than there are hills. And so like right now we're, we're on a hill. It's been the best year of my life and I'm trying to soak it up and I'm so thankful every day and that my biggest prayers, gratitude, because I know it's not always going to look like this. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know the patterns. So I think it really just comes down to anything you want, being consistent at it. Don't expect anything to be handed to you because you may think that you deserve it, but in hindsight, you're going to understand why it wasn't given to you at the time that you thought you wanted it or the time you thought you needed it. And, but when you're in those valleys, that's when you're supposed to pick up tools. Right? And you're not going to get out of that valley until you learn whatever you're supposed to learn in that valley. Because mm -hmm. what got you to where you are today is not what's going to be that gets you to the next level. You've got to learn some more stuff. And people don't really want to take that, um, that initiative upon themselves. Well, even at a very uh, short term, if you don't have a corrupted file with a deadline in six hours overnight, Right. You don't go grab the chickens and sit in the bathtub. Amen. Right. Amen. So yeah, that just breaks you to doing something that is actually just you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, yeah. And that was that was definitely a valley in my life. I didn't mention this, but I had to file bankruptcy after The Voice. Mm -hmm. And all of my friends that were on the show are on big tours, and they're signing huge record deals. And I was on the same show, but here I am down here filing for bankruptcy. And I was sad. I was like, God, I thought I was sure that was meant for me, right? I was sure that top of the mountain, you put me there. Why, why am I down here? And it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me because necessity is the best mm. teacher. I had to get real creative. And I, it's the biggest tool in my tool belt is some of those foundational things that I learned there because I was so green coming into The Voice. I had not sang, I'm not taking a lesson. I didn't know what I was doing. I had to have that green ripped out of me down there and some realism put into my life and entitlement stripped away for me to say, okay, Here's where I am. Here's the tools that I have. If I want to keep this going, I'm going to have to work my butt off. And that's what it was for the last five years. And then just being flexible along the way, being stubborn in the goals and flexible in the methods because the path is not going to look like what you plan it out to be. Mm. Not even close. And you know what? The, I, it's always the best things have always come out of left field. The things mm. that have changed my life the most have come out of left field. The voice out of left field. That was not a plan. Um, Chickens in a bathtub, out of left field, not a plan. Uh, the social media, Facebook giving us the watch show, not a plan. It was because I had my head down working towards whatever I thought I wanted at the time, full speed focus on that, somebody noticing and giving me an opportunity. And I took it and every time it's been able to elevate me. I could not have planned for those things. They were not on my radar. And so I think you pick a goal, always have a goal that you're working towards, but don't be so blinded by it that you don't see the opportunities as they're offered along the way. Should I let my 13-year-old get TikTok? <laughs> Only if she follows the Adley Show. Uh, sure. On yeah, yeah. She, she will be happy to, I'm sure. She'll be like, what? You met her? Yes, I'm going to follow that. <laughs> and only her. Don't follow these other crazy people out there. It's Any social media can be a dangerous place. Sure. But I think as long as you can monitor it. Mm -hmm. I don't have kids, much less a 13-year-old, so it's hard for me to say. But it seems like a, a pretty safe space. Mm. hard part is protecting their their confidence and their mindset and seeing all these other 
girls doing this for attention and guys giving that attention and thinking that's who they need to be to mm -hmm. earn respect and earn confidence rather than finding it in themselves. And that's the scariest thing about kids growing up with social media, I think. Um, but then it just comes from the parents instilling different values in them that can over time overwrite what they're seeing online mm. and minimizing the time they spend on it because those are all inputs that we can control but especially in 13 year old minds it starts to shape the way they see the world how do you feel about the uh, celebrities read mean tweets i think it's hilarious yeah yeah it's so funny it seems like that would especially be <laughs> right right up your alley yeah if that self-deprecating humor you, you would right, enjoy it watching is. it i don't know whether you'd want to do it oh, oh well yeah i would <laughs> i was thinking about making a mean comments thing on my own just me reading the meanest things that are said about me is sometimes I've taken a few of it personally, and Blake has to kind of, you know, say that's not real. But most of the time, I'm able to laugh it off. Think people say there was a whole thread on what did they say about you? <laughs> He's like, leave me out of this. Yeah. It was about how lame. Be yeah, it was just there was a whole thread online of how lame Blake is as a boyfriend. <laughs> and we met a girl recently. We were at this event called Wine on the River. And she recognized me from some video and she goes, oh, is that the crappy boyfriend? And I'm like, yeah, that's the crappy boyfriend. <laughs> so eventually we'll come up with concepts that tee them up in a better light. <laughs> show yes. how wonderful As it if is. there's but no acting involved at all. Like, yeah, like you're, right? seeing, you're seeing every second of every day in your life. Yeah, probably exactly. There's probably a little more to it than that three <laughs> minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so I need to come up with concepts that cast him in a better light. I think that one's on me. I'm curious because I've heard people whine about going on a reality show and saying, yeah. oh, I wouldn't portray the right way. It's all, of course it's edited. Oh, my gosh, yeah. But I'm curious what that experience was like for you. I think it's all about your expectation, mm. right? Uh, Blake says this really well. We've got a bunch of Airbnb properties in Nashville. If we were living in that house, I would be pissed at what they do to it, right? <laughs> but because we bought it for other people to live in and they have permission to do whatever they want while they're in there, our mindset is different. It was the same thing for me on the show. Mm. I was just happy to be there. I couldn't believe I was there. And I knew how to soundbite, you know, mm. thanks to my time here. I knew what I was giving them, and I knew that they were going to do whatever they want with it. So when they fished for stuff, I didn't really give them what they wanted. Mm. If they were angling me against another competitor, I didn't really take that. You know, but other people, maybe, maybe they did. But ultimately, you just you got to have your expectations in the right place. Mm. And I, my whole life was not writing on this, and this was my big shot. Right, so I I just loved the experience. I had so much fun with it. But it's all a lot of people expected to just stay famous or be famous after that, um, and then they were very disappointed. They were very depressed, and this is what I thought it was going to be, and then it didn't end up being that, and they were super sad. Where I knew the next season coming four months right mm -hmm. behind me. I, what am I going to take this launch pad and do with it? It gave me an incredible opportunity out of the gate. Now the rest is up to me. And that's really how I looked at it, and I think it's the healthiest way to look at it, as far as I know. Well, American Idol was a phenomenon, mm -hmm. and of the people who won that show, two of them went on to be big names, right. I mean, that I can think of yeah. off the top of my head. Of course, Carrie Underwood, mm -hmm. pretty big. Um, Kelly Clarkson. And Kelly Clarkson. The Voice has yet to produce a superstar of that magnitude. You have people with successful careers, mm -hmm. but not a superstar, you know? And that just goes to show you, right. your life is not going to change that much. You may be, the winner of season one, two months after the show, couldn't fill out a 60-seat venue, mm. you know? So you just have to manage your expectations, especially with that. Are you glad in hindsight that you didn't win? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I'm glad I got kicked off when I did, mm. because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I would have naturally fizzled out and not have been remembered because the battle round went down how it did. Um, and my competitor didn't do as well as she d did in real life. Mm. Um, it was front page of Yahoo News. It was shocking elimination on The Voice. It was front page of Rolling Stone. I still have all these clippings. I was memorable because of how I went out. Mm. And if I had just fizzled out probably the next round, I wouldn't have been remembered. Well, and I would say you two had such different styles. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least within that performance, it really was like, oh, wow. As I said, I, I'll say you got robbed. Um, and I, you moved on from there. Yeah. Um, but that was a case where it was like, well, clearly you won, but okay, you're out. All right, well, 
now what? Yeah, people be got on my side. They became fans, and so I was like, all right, I have a unique opportunity. I've got to solidify that, right? I've got to give them something to grab onto to where music's free. Music is not going to make you a living. You're either touring 90% of the time or you're selling a heck of a mm. lot of merch because what you're doing is free. Mm. Um, so it's really who you are as a person that they're attaching to. And then you can sell them whatever. You sell them water bottles, sell them a towel. They <laughs> need to love you. And that's really where the personality of it comes in. They either look up to you or they want to be your best friend. But what is it about you that is attractive or magnetic to these people? Mm. And now it's you showing that personality through... Facebook being, being silly, hoping given through the platform and through my experiences, giving them own confidence in their abilities and in their authenticity and that it is good enough. You know, they see what I do to my boyfriend, their husbands should love them, <laughs> right? <laughs> but just giving them confidence to be who they are and care less about what other people think because it's a very, very freeing place to be. I'd like to thank Adley for taking the time to join us. You can follow her all over social media. You can contact us at OKStateCasts or email pokespodcasts at okstate.edu. Remember, there's no T in Pokes Podcasts. And with that, we end with the question, how are the arts and sciences making the world a better place? One of my favorite stories to tell about my education here was I walked into one of my senior level classes and they laid down a sheet and it said Twitter practice at the top. <laughs> it was my senior year. And everybody always laugh at that, but I'm like, this is amazing. This is forward thinking, this is practical, because we were, it was an NFL game that we were supposed to live tweet. Mm. And in 140 characters, we need to get across a very concise message with a call to action and two hashtags mm. in 140 characters. And in the world that we live in today, you only have this much attention. Mm -hmm. I'm holding my fingers really close together. <laughs> uh, you have a very short amount of time to get your message across. Really, no matter what you're doing and what business you end up going into, what do people walk away from your meeting? What is their takeaway? They watch your video. What is the takeaway? Um, and the way that it, it framed me to think, it's not often that I reference what I learned in the classroom. Mm. It's a lot of subconscious development that I think the arts and sciences instill in us over the course of four years that help us go on to be who we are in the real world. And that was just an example that always sticks with me of how the education here taught us to think. And always people are helping me write scripts and I'm like, it's too long, we'll lose them. Too mm. long, we'll lose them. I'm in a Facebook world. If I bore them for half a second, they're gonna keep scrolling. What is the message? What is the caption that is, that is gonna make them watch until the end? Because we get paid based on watch time of the views. Right? And so it's always short, concise messaging. That I learned from the arts. Science is out of it. I don't know much about that. <laughs>